everybody and welcome along to episode 11 of Arsehole Animals with Alice. I'm your host, Alice Vasalo, and today we're discussing animals that have almost definitely given divers across the world major PTSD. Today we're discussing triggerfish. I'll give you a quick rundown of this species and then we'll bring on our guest. Triggerfish are made up of around 40 species in the family Ballistidae that inhabit tropical and subtropical oceans, mostly being found in the Indo-Pacific. For those of you wondering what a triggerfish is, or if you've ever seen one before, maybe you have. They look like a brightly coloured rhombus with big lips and big teeth. They're actually very pretty fish, you should definitely Google them. The reason they're called triggerfish is because of a cool mechanism on their body that helps them escape from predators. Triggerfish have two dorsal fins on the top of their body, a big one and a small one. When you try to push down on the big one, it doesn't move. It's locked in place. However, when you push on the smaller one, both of the fins collapse at the same time. So the small fin acts like a trigger. When a triggerfish is evading a predator, it swims into a crevice and raises that rigid dorsal fin, lodging it into the cracks. And once it's in there, removing it is a hell of a task. It's also a deterrent for predators too, since a raised rigid fin like that makes them unpleasant to swallow. Triggerfish are also unique because they don't swim like many fish do. They don't swish their tail to move them through the ocean, but instead wiggle their dorsal and their anal fins to propel them along, sort of like a little hovercraft. Their tail is used as sort of a turbo boost button, only used when they need a boost of speed. But really, the reason they're on this podcast today, as many divers know, is because of their temperament. They can be notoriously foul-tempered fish, known for aggressively defending their territory and biting anyone or anything in their way. Their powerful teeth are adapted to crunching through crabs, sea urchins and coral, so bites from one of these bad boys are painful. Do not mess with the triggerfish's territory. So now that you're all clued up about triggerfish, let's bring on our guest. Brilliant. And now it's time for me to introduce my amazing guest. She's a conservation biologist, wildlife photographer and wildlife content creator. The amazing Kate Sheridan is here. Thank you so much for joining me, Kate. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about triggerfish today because... When we were discussing about arsehole species and you suggested triggerfish, I was like, I have never heard of this animal. And the more and more I've done research about it, the more and more I think they're just incredible and sassy and smart. So, so excited to talk about them today. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. Um, I think with triggerfish, if you hear the title of the podcast and then you hear triggerfish, it's almost like, if you know, you know, um, because... Yeah. People who've had experience with this animal will be like, yeah, they're an arsehole. And people who've never heard of them won't know anything about them. So yeah, I feel like everyone will split into one of those two camps. That's fair. Yeah, it's a win-win sort of situation. Would you would you say it's fair to say that uh, most divers who have had experiences with triggerfish have sort of mild PTSD from encounters with one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that people recognize straight away and they say oh this fish yeah they I've been bitten or I've been 
chased or I've had this encounter I've watched this happen to this person so oh my god uh, it's definitely you know it's not something you forget in a hurry oh my gosh that's amazing I suppose it helps that they're just such amazing colors and so bright and so easily recognizable as well so I imagine under the water you're like oh god there it is <laughs> amongst all of the uh, yeah chaos. well there's so many different species and some of them are some of them are not assholes some of them are quite are quite docile but the yeah. the main one I think of as, as being an author is the titan triggerfish but there's another species that's very similar looking so the mm. titans are one of the biggest ones they're quite orange as so they're like primary color and there's another one called the yellow margin which is a similar size but more kind of yellow and gray mm-hmm. um, but if you don't know the species well and you're not used to them they look very similar and the yellow margins are pretty aggressive but they're not as aggressive as the the titans so much they're more likely to chase you less likely to bite you Um, So I think all triggerfish kind of get lumped together because of the behavior of primarily the titans. But all of them are pretty feisty. They're all, uh, they're territorial. Yes. Kind of ecological way to to put it. Yeah, that's, that's very diplomatic. They're just, they're just territorial. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the exact sort of diplomacy we expect because we're animal fans and we love them and we can call out arsehole behavior, but we can also explain why they do this arsehole behavior. So um, I'll start off, Kate, um, by asking the question that I ask everybody on this podcast when they come on, which is, uh, what animal do you think of in general? It doesn't have to be in the sea when you think of the word arsehole. Well, the first one I thought of was obviously the triggerfish, but yeah. that's just because it's very related to what I do now. So at the moment, I'm working in coral restoration uh, in yeah. the Maldives. So I deal with this animal every day. So it's very much in my periphery um so it was kind of the first thing I thought of but there are so I was then thinking about it more and I was like gosh I've had so many encounters with animals where they've just been assholes (laughs) and the one I also couldn't not come back to was baboons like from the kind of very literal sense because they do like to kind of display (laughs) yes but yeah also they can be pretty cheeky and I mean you kind of have to respect them for it but I've seen them break into cars I've seen them stealing people's picnics I've seen them chase people and you just think you know fair enough because normally it's the human's fault but it's also pretty pretty awesome yeah behavior I mean they were kind of another one I was thinking about a lot there's a lot of stories there (laughs) baboons yeah I mean that's such a good answer actually I think I mean primate intellectual primates I think are always capable of um yeah, as you said, cheekiness and uh, and testing the boundaries a little bit. So I think that's such a good point. And that's actually, yeah, that's one maybe I need to do at some point further down the line is baboons. Like, and, yeah, because I feel like it, it's got a double meaning because they behave like assholes, but they also have quite a recognizable asshole. Yeah, that's it. Um, the ultimate yeah. asshole animal, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that's such a good answer. Yeah. I love that. But what I, I love about this idea of kind of asshole animals is, Maybe I'm biased because I work in conservation and I, I love wildlife, but I feel like when animals behave like assholes, it's, it's kind of endearing. Whereas when people behave like assholes, they're just assholes. Yeah. When animals do it, it's kind of like, you know, oh, it's just their ecology or it's just kind of yeah. endearing. Like when they steal, like when a baboon steals food from someone, you just kind of have to laugh it off. Like it obviously it's quite traumatic if yeah. it happens to you, but it's kind of endearing in a weird way it is yeah I mean it I I think sometimes it's easier for people to be traumatized if they don't know the animal and they don't know the sort of severity of the situation I think people can be a bit traumatized for it but um I think uh I think you're right sometimes the easiest thing in situations like that is to just laugh I mean there's a whole um yeah 
there's a whole sort of online community, at least on Reddit, it's called, uh, there's a little forum called Animals Being Jerks. And it's literally just videos of animals, you know, doing what we call as humans, like, you know, jerk-like behavior. Um, and whether or not they're doing it because of their own reasons, like their own behavior, their own sort of, uh, you know, motivations, or they're just, it just seems like they're doing it for malice. It, you know, the, the, these videos are popular, really, I think, because I think there's a part, there's a sort of perverse part of us that like when animals can also be jerks, like as well as us. I think we like seeing animals display almost human behaviors. I think yeah. there's something um, anthropomorphic that we, we really enjoy about it. Um, but I think the line, I guess, of where you would call an animal an arsehole is how kind of severe it is. Because yeah. the main reason we're talking about triggerfish is they have a tendency to chase people and bite people mm. if they're defending their nest, which I think we'll talk a bit more about. But um, a triggerfish biting you is very different to a shark biting you, let's sure. say, like a large shark biting you. So like, I wouldn't say... I would say when you get bitten by a triggerfish, the triggerfish is being an arsehole. But if you get bitten by a shark, shark's not being an arsehole. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. a separate thing. I think almost the, the level of danger and the severity is, is where that, that line is. And sometimes that's... animals, are, you know, baboons are kind of on walk the line because most of the time they're kind of smart enough not to, to call, put people in sort of life-threatening situations where yeah. obviously that dangerous and it, it stops being funny. Yeah. Um, but when it's sort of no harm, no foul at the end of the day, but the animals sort of ruined your day yeah <laughs> um, that's it you can laugh about it that's such a good point actually the sort of the term arsehole can be labeled to an animal sort of depending on the severity of it that's such a good point now, actually not one that I've made or thought about or discussed with any of the previous podcast guests that I've had on you know we we put, obviously we are we label our animals assholes because of behavior that we perceive to be arsehole behavior in our society and it doesn't necessarily fit what they feel but that's such a good point yeah I mean it, it's uh arsehole is just like it's a little inconvenience isn't it it's like yeah getting your sandwich stolen or getting a nip from a fish or anything like that when it's when it gets more into like crazy dangerous territory it's uh yeah less about them being an arsehole that's such a good point yeah I think it just it stops being it's it's the line of where where you can laugh on versus where you can't yeah. laugh <laughs> And that's what we're here today to laugh about animals today, because that is the theme of the podcast. We're just here yeah. to just, you know, share stories and just laugh about the fact that some some animals can be assholes sometimes. Um, but baboons is is such a great answer. I absolutely love that. But the um, back to the back to the triggerfish. So, I mean, what is your experience with triggerfish? You said that you you see them pretty much every day that you're in the water. Yeah, I would say I see them every day. My experience would is largely from the work I'm doing at the moment. So, mm -hmm. I currently work. Uh, managed a coral restoration project on an island in the Maldives and I've been doing that for a year and a half so prior to this experience I didn't really have much experience with triggerfish I have been diving for a long time so I'd seen them diving but I had actually worked in terrestrial wildlife before this position so mm. they were they were quite new to me um, but now I'm very familiar with them so I <laughs> yeah I see them every day and the I would say the two kind of behaviors that they do that I've observed that I would put in the arsehole category are when they're nesting they're extremely territorial they're pretty territorial all the time but they turn aggressive when they're yeah. nesting um so their normal kind of territorial behavior would be kind of mock charging and charging but one when they're nesting they will defend with their teeth <laughs> uh, everything and anything that comes within the vicinity of their nest yeah um so they make their nest on on the sea floor and then they defend an area sort of around it 
in a kind of cone shape up to the surface. So oh. if you swim through it, they, they will chase you. Huh. Not just us, they chase each other, they chase other fish. And if you don't get out of the way, they will bite you. And the point I think as well, where they really become assholes compared to other fish is that they will keep biting you until you leave, but they don't really give you an opportunity to leave. Oh. So they'll bite and then they'll just keep going and they'll just keep going and you yeah. have to just get out of their way. Yeah. So we always say to um, I had always advised to other people, if you see one charge you, swim perpendicular as fast as you can. Cause you don't, if you don't know where the nest is, you don't know where that perimeter is. So just yeah. turn. 90 degrees from where you are and just swim as fast as you can and try and get your fins between you and the fish because a lot of videos of divers in particular they bite the fins they bite regulators they bite tanks like they'll just bite yeah um so there's that um yeah that's good advice uh, and their bite is pretty painful compared to another fish um it they have they have sort of dog-like teeth they do have like proper teeth and Mm -hmm. They bite and they clamp, so they don't just nip. They do clamp for like a couple seconds and then they let go. So they do kind of leave a bit of a bruise. Sometimes they can break the skin. Um, so it's not it's not a little nip from a fish. It is actually quite painful. Oh and it's also their their facial expression. This is quite a common characteristic of of most fish is that they have they just look incredibly grumpy. So they look <laughs> so angry with you. Um, and that is us anthropomorphizing. That is just the way their face is laid out. Sure, but yeah they look you look like you've done the absolute worst possible thing you could have done and they're <laughs> so angry with you so it's just really scary and they're quite you know for a reef fish they're not small they're about the size of a human head um yeah. like but they're quite uh like laterally compressed they're quite flat yeah sure but in terms of uh length they're kind of like the size of a human head i would say um so a lot smaller than us but it's pretty scary when it's coming at you fast um but this only happens when they're nesting the rest of the time they can be a bit territorial they can be a bit curious but they don't really chase or or bite you um so it's only kind of a set period of time so you do you you are you are pretty unlucky to have this happen I mean it's happened to me but it's bound to happen to me because I go in the water every single day yeah um but if you're someone who kind of occasionally dives occasionally snorkels you're pretty unlucky to actually be bitten but another thing they do that I think pretty annoying, but again, <laughs> specific probably to me, is they break coral colonies up. And this, again, mm-hmm. is just part of their behavior. So they they like to eat crabs. And I think the main reason that they break up coral is to eat the crabs. And this is why, actually, they have these quite sharp teeth. Yeah. So they have the teeth so they can break the coral right. and so that they can eat crabs because, obviously, crabs have their, their shells. Mm-hmm. Um and for me, as someone who actively restores coral, yeah, exactly. sometimes we've just planted a new colony. Oh. We go back the next day and it's just been completely destroyed. No. And we try we try not to get annoyed because this is part of the ecosystem. This yeah. is normal behaviour. And actually, it's it's a good thing to have triggerfish around because they do help with regeneration. And, you know, yes. it's part of the ecosystem we're not just restoring the corals for the other fish, we're you know, restoring them for the, the triggerfish as well. Sure. But it's a little bit disheartening when they just destroy everything. Yeah, you're spent. like, God damn it. However, <laughs> like, in yeah, the next day, um, just, oh God, <laughs> bloody triggerfish. Exactly. And we, we recently did a relocation. So we, we relocated mature coral colonies. So most of the restoration work we do is propagation. So we take small pieces of coral, we propagate them to become, they grow yeah. then in their own time. We mm-hmm. recently did a relocation uh, from an island that was threatened from land reclamation. So they were extending the island, which just destroys the reef. Oh. So we brought the corals here 
but these were mature colonies already. They had all their branches and a whole bunch of them just got destroyed straight away by these triggerfish. Um, and they have calmed down. I think they were maybe establishing territory. I'm not really sure. Right, right, right. <laughs> that was a bit annoying. But, but to a, to someone who's not a coral biologist, that's just neither here nor there. Yeah, of course. But for me, <laughs> it was a bit annoying. Um, so I'd say most people will, when they hear us talking about triggerfish as an arsehole, they'll be thinking more about nesting and biting and chasing. But they also have a tendency to destroy all my hard work. Yeah, exactly. My person. And how long does it take for like for coral to grow to a place where you can kind of move it as well? Like, like how, what's the growth sort of cycle of coral? Um, it depends on the species. So we mm. mostly use for propagation uh, Acropora, which is a genus, a, a genus of coral. It's the most species rich genus of coral and it's oh. a stony coral. And they grow sort of 10 to 15 centimetres a year. Yeah. So we'll take small fragments, sort of like uh, index finger size, okay, and they'll grow a few centimeters a year. It's it's not exactly linear; it'll be exponential because eventually they get limited by space. But right. if they weren't limited by space, they would just keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. Because that takes a so, long time to grow, like a tiny yeah. amount, and this triggerfish just comes <laughs> in and is just like, time. "Screw you yeah. guys! I'm just gonna root around for crabs in here." Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah uh, sometimes they'll just destroy a section but sometimes they just take every oh, single branch off oh my god and sometimes the corals can survive this i mean it is it is part of the, nat- the natural ecosystem so they are sort of geared up for this but um if you uh have a big hole you know if they break off the branches that you in when you break off a branch of coral you do expose the skeleton so yeah. when we propagate and we take small pieces we only take one or maximum two per colony because right. if you leave lots of these exposed skeletons you make the colony more vulnerable to diseases and more vulnerable mm. to, to, to triggerfish because they have more space to get in to destroy mm. it so when the triggerfish come they just take everything and sometimes the corals survive sometimes they just grow over pretty fast and they'll start regrowing those branches it's not a problem yeah. but sometimes they can be more vulnerable to disease from being so exposed and then oh we lose God. that colony or a section of that colony and this is um, that's this a bit is, annoying. This is fascinating though, because I mean, a I'm getting like a great you know picture of of coral restoration and 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 the what the, all of the work that goes into that because that's uh you know that's a gap really in my knowledge working with mostly animals on on the land and the skies if I work with birds. But so this is really really fascinating stuff. But I can't imagine how how you guys must feel like going back in the water and being like, God damn it, like bloody triggerfish yeah. hasn't been here overnight. But um, I'm going to ask you a difficult question, Kate. I'm going to ask you what you actually love about this species. I know you said some arsehole behaviours. What do you like about triggerfish? Uh, you know, I kind of like everything about them. I even like the fact that they're arseholes in a way because I think <laughs> it's quite, you know, their motivations are quite pure. I yeah. think they're defending their nest, which I think is quite understandable. Yeah. Um, I think it's quite endearing. But what I really like about them is they're really curious. And I think this is something that we try to explain to kind of guests, people, tourists visiting, is that they're only aggressive when they're nesting because sometimes people hear these stories, they've seen the videos and then they see one yeah. and they get really scared. And I'm like, no, no, they're, if they're not nesting, they're absolutely fine. Right. Um, but they're very curious fish. like So they come very close, um, particularly <laughs> if you're working on some coral. Yeah. So where we are sometimes diving and um, we're, cleaning some of our coral structures or we're uh, fragmenting coral or reattaching coral uh, doing any number of activities they come right 
up to your face and they just watch what you do um and it's really it's a little bit nerve-wracking because sometimes they're very close to your hands and I'm a bit like please don't bite me yeah, don't bite me don't um, bite me don't bite me yeah yeah and you start moving a, a colony or kind of cleaning a colony or doing something and they will then see something on it that they want and they'll kind of start biting it and you think okay please don't bite me yeah. by mistake um but they're so curious and I think it's quite sweet I quite like it because then they do just sort of they kind of help a little bit as well sometimes as much as they are quite destructive they can sometimes also come and they'll move things around and Aww. they may they have really great behaviors where they move rocks around and they will um the picasso triggerfish do this very cool thing where they hold onto a rock with their mouth and they swim really oh. fast so it's like they're on a treadmill they're not actually moving yeah and they do this to kick up sand because that mm. will then kick up like crabs and worms oh, and then they eat them that is awesome it's really cool holy crap um, and sometimes this is quite useful for us because they're like moving stuff around for us they're um they're quite fun to watch they also eat um some coral predators so we have uh, oh, cool. some snails that the triggerfish will eat and even crown of thorns starfish which are coral predators and there's been an outbreak uh in the indo-pacific interesting where in the maldives at least they're not invasive i think in some places they are they're not invasive but they're populations have exploded to a kind of unsustainable level for right. the coral and uh, one of their only predators <laughs> is the triggerfish yeah and so in that sense they're real allies to coral conservation oh. <laughs> but they just have a few uh, you know a few destructive behaviors but they yes. have to do a lot of benefit to the reefs a lot of their behaviors are actually beneficial to our work so I love that I, I'm a big fan yes yeah they are and that's, that's, yeah exactly I feel like that's the main thing as well with uh, people I have on this podcast like you have to be a fan of the animal that you're speaking of really to to call out the behavior as asshole but also give a million reasons why they're great at the same time so I'm so glad that we are uh, we're managing to talk about uh, about triggerfish today and hopefully educate a lot of people about the how incredible these little things are despite <laughs> despite the destructive behavior of them I think um, after we come back from um, from the break, Kate, uh, this is going to be a really interesting one because I'm going to ask you to help me rate them on a scale of one to five of how much of an asshole they can be. It's the asshole rating section, which until I find a better name for it, that's what it's going to be called. It sounds really dodgy, but it's, it's clean, <laughs> I promise. But um, yeah, we're going to rate them on a scale of one to five of how much of an asshole they can be. Are you ready? Yes, I think I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. Right, so we'll be right back, guys. Stay with us. Excellent. We are back now with the brilliant Kate Sheridan, who is going to help me determine how much of an asshole triggerfish can be to humans, to each other, and to other species in the ocean as well. Are you ready, Kate? I'm ready. Excellent. So we'll start with humans first, because obviously we are the most important species on the planet. So on a scale of one to five, what do you think? What are we, what are we giving these guys? Well, I think we've got to rate them pretty low because oh. they are only assholes when really if we're talking about most people and not just coral biologists yeah. they're only really assholes when they're nesting yeah and I this is something that I struggled to find kind of detailed research on um because I should say I mean I'm not a triggerfish expert I mm -hmm. work with coral but as I mentioned before I've worked with a wide variety of taxa in my yes. career so um I know more about coral than I do about triggerfish but um there seemed to be a lacking in 
the literature about when they nest how long they nest for mm. but my understanding is it's once or maybe twice a year and it's not yeah. for a particularly long time um, yeah. typically when we've observed nests it's maximum been sort of 10 days to maybe two weeks but yeah. often it's actually a lot shorter than that I know that in the Maldives it's sort of March April time which right. coincides with the change of the season I think the Great Barrier Reef it's more like December time huh. um if you're wondering yeah exactly <laughs> it planned uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so I think because they're only an arsehole during that time and that's a very small percentage of the year we have we have to rate them pretty low that's fair that's but I totally think fair. I wouldn't I think I would give out five then maybe a two. Um, yeah. And the reason I wouldn't give a one is because because of the continuous biting. It's it's not a kind of, they don't tend to mock charge or give you one warning bite. Yeah. Sometimes they mock charge, sometimes. But in my experience, they don't. They, <laughs> they charge because they mean it. Yeah. Um, so I think we've got to give them a two because they don't really help you out like once you're in their space they will do anything and everything to get you out yeah so I think you for that reason, say... I would give them a two. Oh, okay we'll give them a two that's yeah that makes sense yeah because they <laughs> yeah that's so funny that they're just expecting you to just disappear from their from their cone you know quick you know they're not giving you the chance to like swim away they're like nope you have got to get out now instantly leave sorry that just reminded me of a story <laughs> of when I was bitten um and I think this was the first time I was bitten by a trigger fish it hasn't actually happened very much because okay. I know how to spot the nests now but um they were nesting in one of our restoration sites so there really wasn't much I could do I kind of had to be there yeah and we didn't I didn't realize that the nest was there because it had, hadn't been there the day before or how the last time I'd been there so I had my equipment with me and I normally take a bucket with like nothing in it actually and normally it's just for if we need to move things around right so it has just a weight in it so I just left it on the floor and then I was you know, swimming around and then I got bitten on the back of my arm. And huh. I thought, what was that? And I saw this triggerfish then coming back for another one. So I immediately swam out of the way. My colleague who I was with was also bitten on the same day. And we were like, right, okay, let's leave. <laughs> let's go to another, the other side Aww. of the, the site. And I had to get the bucket. And when I started to swim towards the bucket, he started chasing me. And I realized mm. that the bucket was in the perimeter. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. And every time we tried, we, we just couldn't get it. And so I would, what was that, right? So we started swimming towards it. And there was, we figured out almost where this boundary was, where right. once we crossed this, this section, that was when they chased us. So we're two grown women. We should be able to handle this. It's quite a small fish. Tiny but fish. it was so scary. You know, they have this such scary face. And the bite had hurt. We'd both been bitten at this point. We yeah. were like, no, I don't want another one. So we actually found a really big stick that happened to be in the ocean. Oh and we used that to like hook the bucket and pull the bucket ah, towards us nice. so that we didn't have to cross the boundary. So the triggerfish obviously started going for the stick, but uh, yeah. fine, you can have the stick. And then yeah. once the bucket was out of the, the perimeter, it didn't mind. So it really did demonstrate that, that that is true. They definitely have an area. They don't mind you being in the water. It's just if you get a little bit too close, that's when they get, get angry, which I think is fair enough. Yeah, that's so funny that it's literally like it crossed one little line and it's like, oh no, now I'm going to go for you. That's so funny. Mm. It's like it, it literally has like a boundary in its head. I love that. But yeah, I mean, on a scale, well, I mean, how painful is a triggerfish bite compared to maybe any other animal bites that you've received? Is it is it quite bad or? I've heard people compare it to a dog bite, but I think dogs I, would be worse. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, crazy. I, I think a dog would be worse. I think 
the reason it's slightly worse than other fish is because they don't let go straight away. Most fish right. will just nip and it's yeah. sort of like ping and then done. Whereas the trigger fish will hold on for a couple of seconds and then let go. So they tend to leave a bruise and they can, not always, but they can sort of break the skin. So you yeah. might have a kind of open, very small open wound. It's not too bad. It's definitely not as bad as, a, I mean, I've never been bitten by a dog, but I don't yeah. think it would be as I feel like that'd be crazy. So we're going to go for a two for how much of an asshole they are to humans. What about, what do you think about um, assholes to each other? Um, I think they're probably less of an asshole to each other. I do see they, again, they'll defend their nest from anything and everything. Um, mm. So they will chase other trigger fish out of the nest and they will yeah. chase other fish. But I think in general, they're less of an asshole to each other. You do see them chasing each other a lot. But I think this is also part of their mating ritual is that they do these almost like dances together yeah, where yeah. they chase each other and then they swim around in circles together. Yeah. Um, I think they're probably less of an asshole to each other. And they are territorial, but there will also be multiple adult individuals in the same sort of space. So yeah. at our restoration sites, we have quite a few over not a huge area. Um, yeah coexisting so they're so they're solitary animals though right but they I read that yeah. they um so one male will mate with a lot of females sort of like a harem of, of little fish yeah with, with one they can one do male. yeah mm. yeah they can do and the males are more aggressive and then the females become aggressive when they're nesting yeah um, sure. but I think they're probably slightly less aggressive to each other than they are to everyone else uh, so maybe a two again, maybe slightly, maybe like a one point five. We can we can give them a one point five. I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, because I, I I think a one is it between one and five or zero yeah, and five. Maybe, you know, you can give whatever yeah. you, you can give a one point four, one point six if you want. Like, you know, yeah, so. I think between a one and a two because they're yeah. less than humans, but not nothing. Yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, let's go with one point five. Then I think that's a good answer. And finally, uh, I mean, how much of an arsehole are they to other species around them? Probably counting coral to this, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, gosh, it, yeah, it probably depends. I mean, if they, because they are a predatory fish, yeah. um, so they are probably not great to the prey. <laughs> the prey probably <laughs> yeah, would rate them pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, as I said, they'll chase, when they're nesting, they will chase everything. Um, things much, much bigger than them. They're a very shallow water species, so they don't have to deal with mm. really like the bigger sharks. Sure. But um, they deal with things like uh, black tip reef sharks, which can be 1.5, 1.6 metres long. Yeah. Um, I think, again, most of the time they're okay. If you're, yeah, if you're the prey species or your coral colony being destroyed, probably a four. Um, <laughs> if yeah. you're a black tear shark, probably a one. But then they're also friends to coral because they do they do eat a lot of coral predators. Fair they enough, do kind yeah. of help with regeneration. I mean, coral, the propagation we do through re for, for restoration purposes is, and that is kind of mimicking a natural process. So when coral mm. fragments are broke, coral branches are broken off, they can if they land in an appropriate place they can just start growing as a new colony oh cool land. yeah yeah and that's kind of how pro propagation is able to work hmm. the fact that a new branch they just have to be kind of stable yeah. and in an appropriate place so triggerfish can be a big enabler in that hmm. uh process so i'm gonna say a three maybe yeah. a one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna say a three well i was gonna, I was well, gonna yeah, try and put it in the depends. middle yeah, yeah, no, you're right, actually, because I'd, I'd forgotten about the crabs and all the... 
<laughs> the other things um yeah so maybe mid middle ground because it, it does depend so we're gonna go for a three we're gonna go right down the middle you think yeah I think that's fair we've got a three we've got a 1.5 and we've got a two so I'm gonna do some quick calculations here bear with me Kate after all of that we've got a 6.5 out of 15 yeah. for, for how much of an asshole they are do you think that's a fair yeah. a fair score to give them yeah I think if we was to do it kind of overall, I would probably round down to more like a a five. Yeah, sure. Um, because I think they do more good than bad. Was I this- think that's bad because when when they're bad, they're bad. But when they're good, they're good. So I think that's yes. bad. Okay, brilliant. I love that. Excellent. You have been amazing in putting up with my nonsense in that segment, Kate. Uh, but unfortunately for you, we're going to go into some more nonsense after the break. We're going to do a true or false round where I'm going to be asking uh, lots of uh, tricksy, triggerfish related true or false questions. Are you ready to go? I have no idea, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> well, good news for you. It's 50-50, right? It's true or false. Like, you know, what are the chances of getting it wrong? It's 50%. It's fine. I believe in I'll you. I'll play the odds. Excellent. <laughs> All right, guys, stay with us. We'll be right back. Excellent. We are back now with the incredible Kate Sheridan, who is going to be putting up with more of my nonsense today and is going to be answering some of my tricksy true or false questions that I carefully curate at home late at night on my laptop, you know, laughing to myself, thinking, ha ha ha, she'll never get any of these. No, I'm kidding. She, you're going to be great today, Kate. I'm, uh, I'm bigging it up as a sort of intimidation tactic, but really, I think you'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, let's see. <laughs> Well, I mean, I was saying this on my on my last episode. We did have one guest that got zero out of five. Um, the amazing okay. Jungle Jordan, and uh, I I think you'll be absolutely fine though. They these aren't super okay. hard, so excellent. We'll right, begin. So. Question number one: Clown triggerfish teeth never stop growing. Is that true or false? I think that's true. You're going true. Yeah, I think so because fish. I think most fish in, in most fish species. I might be wrong about this never stop growing um, you are right it is true that's like a okay yeah yeah, yeah. so this, well, yeah. this is interesting because I mean my my knowledge of fish is so limited you know I'm embarrassed to say that you know because I've never worked with uh, fish myself all of the animals I've worked with have been land-based or air-based with birds that I actually don't know if um if you know most fish's teeth continually grow but I thought this was a really cool you know sort of a, sort of how we know rodent teeth you know never stop growing and they need to chew things sort of constantly to sort of wear that down I read this about the clown triggerfish and I was like that's a really cool fact actually so I maybe need to do some more yeah. research to see if that's a common thing with fish but I read that about the the clown triggerfish and I thought oh my god that's awesome yeah I'm not sure specifically for teeth but I guess it makes sense but I think a lot of fish just continuously grow but it's again it's sort of exponential it sort of slows down as the sure. rate of growth changes but the actually, they never actually stop growing um but yeah no yeah, you're absolutely right it'll come that, that is true though yeah so I mean um I mean I read that triggerfish have they have eight teeth just at the front there and then they have sort of six more on the top that are more sort of like little plates um rather than actual and kind of chompers 
they do condition their teeth as you were talking about huh. rodents they do like scrape on um boulder corals um oh. or like other rocks to kind of like, sharpen or yeah. look after their teeth so that might also kind of play into that and the sort of similarity to rodents yeah wearing them down their teeth, you know yeah if they're continuously growing they kind of would have to look after them a little bit yeah for sure that's that's amazing though that's you know nature blows my mind sometimes like it's incredible but yeah you got one right so far so this is great this This is is good okay I'm happy now (laughs) yeah exactly end on a high beating jungle Jordan for now yeah exactly (laughs) so that's all good (laughs) sorry jungle Jordan Uh, okay sorry (laughs) question number two so this is a a a fact and then I'll I'll sort of say a fact about triggerfish and then I'll ask a question you know based on that sort of fact so Consuming some species of triggerfish can give you ciguatera poisoning. Now, the question is, historians theorize that the colonization of New Zealand was actually largely in part due to this food poisoning. Is that true or false? Um, wow, there are a lot of words there that I've never heard before. Yeah, like, um, colonize <laughs> what? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll explain a bit about, because I'm, again, I'm learning, this is what I love doing about this podcast, because I get to like do lots of research and and, and find out a load of cool new things about uh, about the animal world. And ciguatera mm-hmm. poisoning is, um, do, I mean, do you know anything about that? Like it's a type of food poisoning? No, no it's all right. Because it's, it's only um, some species of triggerfish you can get this poisoning if you eat it. And it's um, okay. a type of, um, I think, a, a microbe or um, a toxin that's in the water that is you know breathed in by the fish and then if you eat the fish with this toxin in it then you get you know really badly oh, yeah. sick uh and it's called ciguatera okay. poisoning but my question is that um do you think the is it true or false that the colonization of new zealand so the founding sort of of new zealand happened largely in part because of this poisoning what do you think do you mean like human colonization of like when humans like homo sapiens first landed in mm-hmm. new zealand yeah I'm yeah because I'm wondering if you get triggerfish in New Zealand because you would in Australia because of the we have a lot of reefs there Mm. but New Zealand's quite far south so I've never been to New Zealand so I don't know Mm. if there would be triggerfish if they have enough kind of coral reefs if they have triggerfish there yeah um it's almost such a ridiculous question that it kind of has to be true um but I feel like if it's not true, it's probably something very similar was related to the first colonization <laughs> of New Zealand, like a different illness. But I think I'm going to say true. I hope it's true. It's it's true. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very is true. It? Yeah, I, I was there. Uh, How was... did one lead to the other? So this is so interesting. So ciguatera poisoning, I am, you know, I can't speak to if there's any species of, um, of triggerfish in New Zealand that I actually don't know. But ciguatera poisoning can happen in lots of different fish. Like uh, it's not specific. It's, you know, it's one thing that you can pick up if you eat certain species of triggerfish. But um, it's it's prevalent in a lot of different fish as well. And I was doing research. I was like, what the hell is ciguatera poisoning? Uh, Doing some more research about it. I saw that there was um, some sort of um, historians slash scientists that are theorizing that in Polynesia, the Polynesian people on the islands just outside of New Zealand, because they kept getting this food poisoning from from the fish that they were eating, they were like, okay, screw it. The fish is now no longer eatable around um, where we are. We're going to branch out. You know, we're going to go sail elsewhere and find out what the hell else is going on. So, and that's how they spread to New Zealand. So, wow. Yeah. Which that's is, amazing. Ciguatera, once you, once you get it, it's, um, 
it makes you quite sick for a while. I mean, it's the normal sort of food poisoning stuff. Apparently it's, you know, diarrhea, vomiting, nausea, and even things like itchiness as well. And there's no sort of cure for it. There's no sort of way to ease it. So you sort of just have to ride it out. And it's really, yeah, it's only gotten from reef fish, from consuming reef fish. So in this, this theory that, you know, people in Polynesia, and this is in like the 10th century. I mean, 10th to 14th century is when they think that these Polynesian people just left their islands, kind of like Moana, you know, when they're searching yeah. for new islands at the end. <laughs> yeah, there's like wow. going out there and being like, you know what, the fish is bloody poisonous where we are now. We're getting sick from eating it. Like, let's just go find somewhere else. So I, I kind of love that. I love um I love that. Yeah, I love the idea of like mixing history and science together. Long story short, you got that absolutely right. So you are two amazing. Two out of five, baby. Excellent. Doing well. Go on to question number three. The lagoon triggerfish is the state fish of Hawaii. Is that true or false? I think that's false. You think it's false? And weirdly, I could be wrong, but I, weirdly, I was actually on the Wikipedia page like a few weeks ago of all the like official animals of each country. Oh, um, yeah. And so I was looking up the countries, like everyone's kind of official animal, and some countries have a fish, a national fish, a national bird, a national yeah. mammal, a national reptile. Like they've really gone to town. They've like picked yeah. what makes sense. I don't think we've done any of that. We just have a tree, a flower, we, and a We must an have animal. a bird. I feel like um, a bird. Robin. I think it's with a robin or something, right? Like, I would have thought it would be the robin. I would guess robin if if it's not the robin then yeah i think we should we should petition to change that. yeah exactly but, um, i have a feeling that hawaii had i mean obviously this was the usa but i have a feeling that hawaii was on there i don't mm -hmm. think that was their national fish i feel like they had picked something a bit more extravagant but i so i'm false. gonna go false you're absolutely right yeah it is false <laughs> So, yeah, it's actually, you know what, this is so funny. It's actually not the lagoon triggerfish. It's the reef triggerfish. So, mm. so it's a different type oh, of wow. triggerfish. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, okay. Um, so my was logic like, was wrong, but my, my yeah, guess was You landed on the right answer in the end, which is really yeah. what matters here, really. But um, this, is, this is really funny, and I really enjoyed this fact. Um, so the word for the reef triggerfish in Hawaiian, you might have, have you ever seen High School Musical 2? Yes. <laughs> I've only seen the of first course. one. So, oh, of course. <laughs> so I've only seen the first oh one. My God. So I had to Google this. You know, there's a song that Sharpay is singing to uh, Zac Efron's character, which is uh, Troy. And it's um, it's the Hawaiian sort of song. It's uh, Humu Humu Nuku Nuku Apua. That song. She's singing yeah, little, like, okay, I had forgotten song. about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's not one of the like the best songs of High School Musical no, 2. But um, that either. that is the word for the triggerfish, the reef triggerfish. It's the Humu that Humu. Whole... Yeah. Humu humu wow. nuku nuku apua'a is the, is the oh, word. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that insane? A long title. Wow. So I was like watching the YouTube video of this because I was like, I was like, what the hell? You know, I was like looking this up and they were like, oh, yeah, this fish was featured in High School Musical 2. And I was like, what the hell? Like went on to um, the, onto YouTube. And uh, who's um, who's the blonde guy, like Sharpay's brother? I can't even remember his name. He's, <laughs> yeah, sure. exactly. But Ryan? Yes, that's Ryan. it, Ryan. Yeah, that's it. So Ryan's dressed in a little reef triggerfish like outfit, and and oh she's yeah. And I was like, this is so cool. It's a triggerfish oh, wow. in High School Musical. So um, yeah, so it's um, I think humu humu is the word for a triggerfish, but the word I think the nuku nuku apua means like a snout like a pig in in Hawaiian. Oh. 
so this is oh you have to go on YouTube so and find funny. this it's so it's so funny he's Absolutely. wearing a little like triggerfish hoodie <laughs> and she's oh singing gosh, this so... song um which is I'm about find the, this. yeah the state fish of Hawaii which just sort of blew my mind but yeah there you go high school musical look it up <laughs> but you're absolutely right that's false oh yeah I'm so happy with that yeah definitely check it out I encourage everybody to do that like I, I just and the word as well like humu humu nuku nuku apua'a it's like once you get the hang of it you're like oh okay that's a cool word to say actually I like that <laughs> I'm into it <laughs> So you're doing three for three, um, okay, which is amazing. So <laughs> congratulations, you know, there's me sitting here thinking, <laughs> she's not going to get any of these. And then <laughs> actually, you're, you're smashing it, you're doing well. Okay, question number four. The first ever triggerfish discovery was earlier than the death of Shakespeare. Is that true or false? What do you think? Oh my God. I know, wow, I know. I can't believe triggerfish have been linked to, you know, colonization of countries and now yeah exactly and high school musical and now <laughs> and I mean, high school I'm, musical yeah yeah wow, the range that's um, it right to be honest it's more of a, a question of do you know when Shakespeare died <laughs> you know sort of thing uh, I feel like I'm not visual when he lived I, I want to say the 1500s but uh 15 or 1600s probably yeah could yeah. have been earlier than that mm-hmm. um no you're right I oh okay 1500s yeah, yeah. okay I'm gonna sort of cheat here and I'm gonna say it's true even if it's false because I reckon someone somewhere at the time of Shakespeare knew about a triggerfish, whether that was reported and documented in kind of Western science and whether the kind of official discovery as per the, the scientific community was yeah. after or before. There would have been people in the tropics sure. who knew about it and didn't realise it was even something to, to be discovered. Yeah, um, sure. Because it's sort of everyday life for them. So I'm going to say true. But whether it was sort of officially mm. in the scientific canon, I have no idea. So I'm going to say true. I mean, this is this is interesting because it, it's false is is the answer. So, uh, but you know, you're totally right. Like, I'm sure loads of people knew about the triggerfish before someone just th- a thought to write it down and b gave it the name that we recognise mm. nowadays. So, the first ever triggerfish species discovered was the queen triggerfish, which are stunning. Oh my god, beautiful, beautiful triggerfish! Like these gorgeous, like pastel colours. Just you know, if you're at home, just Google queen triggerfish. They're just so stunning, and they were discovered uh, in 1758 by none other than everybody's friend Linnaeus. Shakespeare died in uh, 1616. Which, you know, he died on 23rd of okay. April, which is also his birthday, um, which is the famous thing of, of Shakespeare dying on his birthday. I oh, know, gutted, right? I but, didn't even uh, know that. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. But uh, I mean, we're dropping, you know, lots of general knowledge here as well as trigger. Yeah, knowledge. a lot of general knowledge. General knowledge. And we've got uh, pub quiz coming up. Yeah, exactly. When did Shakespeare die? You're never <laughs> okay. going to forget this now. 1616. But yeah, so yeah, he, he lived in the 1500s towards the later end and then died in the in the early 1600s. But yeah, so I mean, it's uh, it's so difficult as well to, to you know, ascertain when things were discovered mm. and, and who's been writing about what for the longest time. But yeah. you know, without a doubt, people from hundreds, thousands of years ago would know about this fish, yeah. just not document it and, and give it a Latin name and things like that. Like, yeah, uh, the sort of um, the kind of value of like local indigenous knowledge versus... Yes kind of western That's western it. inverted commas science yeah i guess 
yeah, the ivory like tower. Officially, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Officially noting it down and, you know, yeah, making it recognized yeah. by the world rather than by the locals that have seen it for generations sort of thing. So that one is actually... Yeah, people forced, were but... probably eating it, yeah. frying it while Shakespeare probably. was writing his play. Yeah, and vomiting because of uh, Sigurd yeah. Hera, so. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that one is false, but you know, you're, you're in that sense, you're right. They p- people probably did know about it for for years beforehand, but we're still doing very well. We um we've got uh, three out of four. So question number five. This is another statement followed by a question. So triggerfish are able to move their eyes independently of each other. Around five percent of the human population can do that. Is that true or false? Um, I don't think it's five percent. That seems like a Actually, it's like I was say that seems like a lot, but then I do know people who can. They can move them, but can they see? Like act, you know. I do know a lot of people yeah. who can kind of cross their eyes or move one of their eyes. One. Yeah, I've tried. I'm thinking I've maybe tried. it's more more than five percent. What do you think? You think it's? I think, I think false. I, I think if it if it's a sort of yeah, people can also do this in the sort of same same sort of mechanism. I feel like five percent. It's either definitely a lot more or definitely a lot less. Because five percent of seven billion is, is a oh, lot. Oh yeah, of true. People. Yeah, that that is true. But unfortunately, this is true. This is this uh, is true. Wow. Yeah. So it's a between five and eight percent. So you know, saying around five percent. So the um, yeah, I mean, that's it is quite low, I suppose. But um, what's cool again? Yeah. What's cool about this podcast and why I love doing these and chatting to people um, like experts like yourself is, is that I get to do lots of cool research and. Apparently, when you can move your eye separately of each other, that's called a disconjugate movement uh, or a disconjugate gaze. And obviously, we know this from chameleons being able to move their eyes sort of separately. Um, Mantis shrimp also do it as well. But, you know, humans actually have to sort of train themselves to do it, which I think is interesting. Like we, we, you know, five to eight percent of humans can train themselves to like figure out their muscles enough to like move their eye separately. I mean, I can't do it. I've never been able to even cross my eyes, even doing the kind of the trick where you bring your finger close to your face. Oh, yeah. But, um, but I've always wondered if people people who are doing that consciously, can they still see? I just kind of assume that if you... Because I know some people can also move. It's not just crossing their eyes. They can move one eye to the left or yes. to the right. But I kind of assume yeah. when you're doing that, that that eye isn't... You can't see. Because I can't imagine that our brain can compute seeing two different images almost at the same time because yes. it's not designed to do that whereas obviously with the mantis uh, mantis shrimp mantis shrimp my gosh whole other topic oh yeah incredible yeah animals yeah uh triggerfish animals that have evolved with this mechanism you know it's useful to them they can That's it. actually use it whereas i'm like can we actually see when we i don't know we have to get someone on who can do it yeah that's it yeah i mean i feel like as well because i mean because our eyes are forward facing and not the side of our heads right like it's um yeah it's not um yeah triggerfish they're right on the side that's it and you know chameleons as well like they, it's you know it serves them obviously to be looking out for predators or looking out for prey i yeah because our eyes are at the front of our heads maybe we just don't need to do that i mean we can't see kind of behind us anyway why would we need to sort of see you know slightly in our peripheral yeah, vision yeah. a bit more there's <laughs> no know? use for it yeah, for doesn't us. really seem yeah. super useful but you know five to eight percent of the population can train themselves to move um, their eyes independently which is pretty cool it's called uh, disconjugate wow. movement or a disconjugate gaze there you go dropping some science bombs today 
there we go like not just uh, trigger fish learning day today guys we're learning about a a little bit of everything shakespeare these pop quizzes just write themselves yeah exactly right (laughs) absolutely um but actually three out of five is an amazing score and you have been actually a lot of my guests actually on here so (laughs) (laughs) so congratulations well done yeah i'll take it i was i was hoping for one so i'll I'll take three (laughs) yeah you did it you did better than half which is amazing but you absolutely smashed (laughs) that round well done kate so after we come back from the break i think we're going to go into a little bit more of a serious topic aren't we we're going to discuss what you want people to know about triggerfish and their environment in our shout outs and psa sections so stay with us guys we will be right back our charity of the week this week isn't going to be focusing on triggerfish They're doing okay in the wild. Some species are kept as pets in home aquariums, and others are even eaten. Instead, our charity this week is going to be focusing on coral, and how important it is for our oceans. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about the coral planters. Now, most of us know that coral reefs are in trouble right now because of climate change and a rise in the ocean temperature. But why is coral important? Coral reefs are home to a quarter of all marine life, which makes them one of the most diverse ecosystems on the planet. If our ocean temperatures rise by even 2 degrees, we lose 99% of all coral, and the many creatures inside lose their food source, their shelter, and their spawning grounds. Coral reefs provide food and resources for more than 500 million people in over 100 countries, and have a global economic value of $375 billion a year. Now, this is all sort of terrifying, but thankfully there are amazing people doing incredible work out there to help restore coral reefs. The Coral Planters are one of these wonderful organisations that are working hard to look after our ocean's health and try to undo the damage caused by climate change. Not only are they helping coral all across the world by undertaking multiple restoration projects, they also monitor the health of that coral once they've replanted it. Literal underwater doctors. Their mission sees them helping both underwater and in our classrooms as well, as they are passionately educating the younger generation about why coral reefs are essential to our survival as humans. And they could really use your help. If you'd like to get involved and help their vitally important work, you can symbolically buy some coral for them to plant or adopt your own reef, which makes an excellent present for someone obsessed with the ocean. You can also donate to one of their many projects, including Reefscapers, that my guest today, Kate Sheridan, works for. These guys are out there doing their absolute best to help our underwater world, but they'll need as much help as they can get. If you've loved what you've learned about triggerfish and coral reefs today, you can visit their website at www.thecoralplanters.org. That's www.thecoralplanters.org. And help support those fighting one of the biggest and most looming threats to our planet today. Thank you. Excellent. We are back now with the brilliant Kate Sheridan, who has she done pretty well in that previous segment and got a three out of five in my true or false round, which was more than I was hoping she would get. So well done, Kate. Um, but now yeah, we're going to switch. I'm unbelievably proud. 
yeah I'm I'm proud of you too well done yeah because I I definitely try and curate these to be a bit tricky but hopefully we've uh, we've learned some cool sort of fun pub quiz general knowledge today as well so but we're going to switch gears a little bit now we're going to go into a little bit of our, our conservation message in our shout outs and PSA section and um, I'll sort of leave it over to you um, Kate I'll, I'll ask you to sort of take the floor and talk to us about um, what you want us to know about triggerfish and their environment what do you think? Well, I would say, I mean, triggerfish is an interesting one because their kind of ecology uh, is very much linked to coral reefs. Mm. Um, so they're, you know, coral reef species and uh, reef fish. And so through that, their kind of conservation, I think, mostly comes through coral reef conservation. Yeah. So I would, I, I don't think anyone has ever done a sort of really detailed assessment of their, their risks. Um, I think I mean some of the species are definitely listed on the on the IUCN red list but um, they're not uh, they are kind of the threats I imagine uh, and as far as I know are habitat loss habitat (laughs) destruction um, which is all tied to threats related to coral yeah and then they are they are caught we've we've discussed people eating them people do eat them despite uh, potential for poisoning Um, (laughs) but they're not a a mass, I don't think they're an overfished fish. I think a lot of the fishing related to them is still very much localised rather than industrialised. Sure. And it's more kind of handline fishing. Um, oh. Obviously, my experience is primarily from the Maldives, and the Maldives actually is very tough on fishing regulations in terms of fishing gear. We don't have trawling in the Maldives. A oh, lot wow. of the fishing is net-based, and a lot of the local fishing is, is just handline fishing. Yeah. So there's a lot more uh, kind of sustainable in that respect. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, so some people, some Maldivian people do eat triggerfish, but it's not it's not as common as like grouper, snapper. Primarily, I would say that their their threats and therefore their kind of conservation is, as I mentioned, tied to coral reefs. So coral reefs are under enormous pressure yeah. um, from human activity. Um, the two kind of big threats in the Maldives and globally, well, the biggest threat globally is climate change. Um, yeah, coral reefs are incredibly vulnerable to climate change and they so brief bit of coral biology but corals have an algae that lives inside their tissue which provides them with nutrients because this algae can photosynthesize so Mm. it produces sugars which provides corals with about 80 percent of their nutrients they get the other 20 percent from feeding on zooplankton themselves but they get a lot of their nutrients from algae and what happens with increased temperatures or um iridium damage so damage from the sun is that it can damage the algae's photosynthetic system. Yeah. Um, so they overproduce oxygen, and an overproduction of oxygen is toxic. So the algae essentially just becomes toxic, so the corals expel it from their tissue. And this phenomenon is coral bleaching, which I'm sure everyone has heard yeah. of. And the reason we call it bleaching is because without the algae, the coral skeleton is exposed, so they appear completely white. Yeah. And they can survive. They can, a bleached coral is not a dead coral. A bleached coral is still alive but it's dying essentially um kind of put it in sort of layman's terms I guess they can survive one to two months it depends on a variety of factors but if you have prolonged periods of warming then the coral will die so a kind of one week of spiked temperatures or kind of a heat wave where you have spiked temperatures you might end up with bleaching but if the temperatures then drop back down because it was an anomaly the algae will return and the coral will survive but if you have prolonged periods of warming, then the coral will die. And what's happening with climate change is that we're having an increased, we're having more intense and more frequent warming events. 
So we're having warming events more often and they're warmer than they were before. Yeah, so yeah that's it. That's what, what has led to mass mortality of coral reefs worldwide. So the Maldives has experienced 70 to 90% of coral decline uh, in shallow water reefs. The Great Barrier Reef has been massively affected, which oh, is yeah. the largest reef system in the world. But all across the tropics, coral reefs are in, in huge decline. And this is a big problem for overall ocean health and therefore kind of planetary health. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and big problem for human beings because coral reefs are the most biodiverse ecosystem in the world. And they provide a billion, I think a billion people are reliant on the ocean for their food base, at least in the millions. And yes. so 25% of all marine life is dependent on coral reefs. So it's a huge amount of our livelihood. So if we have a decline of coral reefs and we then see a subsequent decline in the fish species that are dependent on the reefs that has knock-on effect for, for human triggerfish fall into that category yes. so all of that is basically to say the habitat of the triggerfish is massively under threat um other threats include uh, a quite specifically maldivian problem is land construction coastal construction mm. um it is a problem elsewhere as well but in the maldives a lot of islands are being developed or new islands are being built for resorts to boost tourism uh-huh. and this is just incredibly destructive to the reef environment and has a lot of obviously implications on water quality, etc. Yeah, of course. So habitat loss and habitat destruction is a big driver of threats to reef fish or species that are dependent on on coral reefs. Which I think um, um, I don't think a lot of people really like comprehend in their day to day life, right? It's because it's um, not something they can see immediately with their own eyes you know and we can see things like deforestation in trees and things like that that's very like you know in our in our sphere but we're not really seeing like habitat loss in and because of coral reefs just you know dying because of climate change is not on our uh, field of scope really on a day-to-day basis unless you spend a lot of time in the water a healthy ocean and an unhealthy ocean look exactly the same from the surface. oh yeah totally and yeah Unless, you know, you're looking at an oil slick or something <laughs> yeah, sure. that's very obviously sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a problem. Yeah, fish you know, floating ocean... to the top, yeah. yeah. And if you were to look at an area of bleached coral reef from a boat, you can't tell. And yeah. you could then be looking at the healthiest reef ever and you can't tell from the surface. And so I do think it's it's out of a lot of people's, out of sight, out of mind. That's exactly um, it, yeah. Rightly or wrongly, because you have to really see it um, and once you see it, it's pretty intense. It is quite profound, quite obvious. But the great thing as well is that you see the resilience of nature so much as well when you look at a degraded coral reef because there'll be maybe dead coral all around, but there's still fish. And then there'll be this one colony of coral that's still alive and still healthy and it is full of fish. Just full of fish and you know it shouldn't be this hard it's actually yeah. quite <laughs> the solution is right there so oh. what I do I work for a company called Reefscapers who yeah. are a marine consultancy based in the Maldives and Reefscapers uses uh, propagation of coral as their primary restoration technique as I mentioned and uh, our kind of founder and managing director kind of pioneered this technique of using coral frames which is now widely used around the world oh they pioneered that not- now it's widely used, you know, outside of the Maldives as well. Yeah. And um, we have a kind of special technique that we use on on our, our specific frames. And you just take a small piece of coral, you attach it, and then it will do what we call self-attach. So it will kind of spread. The way corals grow is they grow just like polyp by polyp. Um, yeah. And they just grow a little bit at a time. And 
they'll then just grow and grow and grow and they only are limited by space is there is there anything yeah. that um people can sort of do to help this on a sort of a, a day-to-day basis you know I know there's maybe things like coral friendly sunscreen and things that people can wear if they dive and things like that is is that sort of something that they can yeah, do to definitely help? if you're visiting a, a tropical country and you're going to be in the water uh coral safe sun cream is definitely that, that is a real thing um yeah and there's a lot of brands that have this and normally they declare it but one Nivea is like a really common sun cream that yeah. and they just sort of happen to be like you know Oreos are kind of accidentally vegan I think oh, Nivea, yeah. Nivea, I'm not sure if Nivea was really thinking about oh, this when they made their sun cream I don't know yeah but yeah. they um their sun cream is coral safe oh wow um, cool that's just like a brand that you can find in any boots any pharmacy you know anything yeah um by the way, there's lots of other specifically coral safe sun creams. Um, I mean, it's, I guess there's two sides. There's kind of what you can actually like directly do with the coral. And if you're, you know, day-to-day person living in a city and you want to specifically help coral, I mean, coral restoration projects always need donations. Yes. They always need help in that kind of sense. But if you're a diver or, a, you know, you're just a snorkeler, you're traveling to a tropical country, I mean, the key things are, to not stand on coral when you're in the water yes um not touch the coral corals can actually sting you as well so i mean it's for your own good as much as for theirs um coral safe sun cream and um just like kind of fishing practices if you are fishing like handline fishing is obviously a lot better yeah things like you know trash in the ocean minimizing trash but the kind of wider things that people can do are anything related to reducing greenhouse gas emissions in my personal opinion is that climate change is a problem that needs to be solved by the people most responsible which are kind of global leaders large corporations that's it yeah Um, it's not it's not on individuals that's it um but therefore i think as an individual the most important thing you can do is use your vote and vote for vote with your money and vote with your your political vote so vote for politicians that you actually think are going to prioritize climate action and vote with your cash like do not support companies that are known to be high polluters as much as you can that's it you know without massively impacting your own life Um, such a good point such a good point like voting is just the most important thing you can do as 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 young people I think as well like yeah yeah. I was gonna say, if you can you know the other the small changes that people talk about with rates of climate change like cycling to work taking public transport like do all of those things that's amazing but I, I don't want to advocate for the idea that individuals uh, as much like as there's huge power in collective action yeah the the big polluters need to step up we can't take the weight of this problem on our shoulders as individuals we have exactly. to pressure the people who have huge decision making power that's exactly it. And, you know, uh, I hate I hate when magazines, articles come out and are pointing the finger at every single one of us in this in this day and age with a cost of living crisis and a climate crisis. And it says, you know, you didn't recycle that your can of whatever. This is your fault sort of thing. Mm. Like every, they're just flipping mm. the blame. I mean, there's uh, there's obviously lots of things that we can do to help minimize, you know, and, and to feel good about our contribution to the planet and what we're doing to help bit by bit and what we believe in. But I absolutely mm. hate when yeah. people take such a like, it's your fault if the oceans die because you decided to drive to work. It's like, get off your yeah, um, my horse, you know. Exactly. Because a lot of these kind of small scale decisions, whilst, yes, they would have a huge impact if everyone did them. A lot of our individual ability to make those decisions is connected to how privileged you are, essentially, yeah, particularly exactly. economic privilege. So yeah. 
a lot of those things are incredibly hard to do if you don't have significant economic resources. Yeah. And most people don't. And if you're having to decide between heating your home and having a slightly more sustainable life, heat your home. You know, I've got yeah. like, of course, you know, putting food on the table for your family. Like, that's not a decision anyone should be put in a position to make. And that's why large, you know, multi-billion dollar, million dollar corporations and government, like global governments need to step up and yeah. solve this problem because they caused it yeah exactly and, so... and but that's the, that's the absolute like gaslighting technique of them isn't it it's that they pay these publications to say that it's everybody else is failing the planet for mm. not doing all of the stuff and there's the guilt that you carry as a consumer for not when, when in fact it's the people that aren't, aren't creating more sustainable packaging or mm. you know or uh, less pollutive uh, factories and things like that it's it's just it's so ridiculous and I think just yeah you're absolutely right just do what you can within your within your scope and just don't worry about what all these people are saying of like it's it's your fault that this isn't um you know that the world is is dying I just yeah that gets my goat more than anything else is just the the blame there so that's um, me too so that's why I always say to people when they ask me what can I do I'm like vote 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 these and sometimes even that is still tied to your kind of economic position because yeah sometimes the you know I don't want to like lame you know political parties and get too political about it but oh I do I'm sorry I hate the Tories there we go like I yeah I make the front of the Tories all the time (laughs) like I'll just but if it's a I can understand the choice between say Labour and Green in the the UK you might be thinking well the Green Party then I should be voting for the Green Party but it's in my interest in terms of XYZ to vote Lib Dem or vote Labour that's fine well, I also hate the Tories, so I would also kind of <laughs> promote people voting Labour just to get yeah, the Tories exactly, out. Exactly, but, yeah. Um, I'm not saying, version. yeah, when I say vote, I'm not saying to vote Green or vote for the Greenest Party within your country. I'm just saying that the responsibility has to be on the most powerful people in the world, and those are world leaders and CEOs of multi-million dollar companies. Yeah. And so we, our power as an individual is basically choosing who those people are so either supporting their businesses or not supporting them so that they get removed yeah and voting in them in and out power we have the power all along we it's like all of us just don't realize that we have this this collective yeah yeah that's the sad thing it's like everybody's well that's the ultimate sort of um tragedy is that because we're so focused on getting by in in a life that's increasingly more difficult we we forget that we have this power to all come together and really make the the decisions you know, yeah. and it's, it's these companies or these uh, these governments' fault for for making us focus on on just staying alive and heating our homes and feeding our families and and really you know not being able to remind us that we we're in control of of who steps up and it, who is on this platform. So that's such a good point. We've massively digressed, but I think this is such this yeah, is so important. Like uh, this is I mean <laughs> this is such an important topic. Just go out and vote, guys. Just don't. In yeah. this day and age, it's just so important. Like, you know, it's it's just do a little bit of research and just and put your vote out there because it's just the future of everything. <laughs> you know, yeah. of, uh, it really, really is. That's such a that's such a good answer. I absolutely love that, Kate. In the meantime, Kate, because yeah, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time in the evening. I mean, um, I mean, this has been amazing to learn about triggerfish and coral, which, as I said, I'm so just woefully ill-informed about on a on a sort of day-to-day basis so thank you so much for taking your time where can we find you if people want to keep in touch with um, what you're up to and look at your amazing pictures in the Maldives and get sort of mild envy about where can we find you you can find me on Instagram um so my and on TikTok those I would say are my like two oh, cool. active social medias so my username is the same it's conservation underscore Kate 
Cool. And I post a lot of like wildlife content on Instagram, a lot of like photography. And then on TikTok, I'm actually doing like, I'm kind of vlogging my life in the Maldives. Oh my gosh. So if you're interested more specifically in my job, then I would head over there. Amazing. Um, and then Reefscapers, just the plug Reefscapers yes. as well. Um, because the work Reefscapers doing really is amazing. It's at Reefscapers Maldives on Instagram. Perfect. So Reefscapers, kind of like landscapers. But yeah, reefscapers. one word. Yeah, that's it. And you can, they yeah. have a website uh, as well, don't they? Is it literally just reefscapers.com? Yeah, reefscapers.com yeah amazing okay you've been so amazing thank you so much for joining me today this is just it's been so incredible to learn so thank you so much (laughs) no thank you for having me I think this is such a fantastic podcast and I love the diversity of conversation we've gone from the Tories to baboon assholes to yeah (laughs) high school music sugar fish (laughs) the musical to Shakespeare I love it it's a little bit of everything I've had the best time oh my gosh thank you so much you've been an absolute superstar thank you so much okay guys this has been another episode of asshole animals with Alice I want to say a big thank you to my amazing guest Kate Sheridan for joining me today all the way from the Maldives to talk trigger fish and I want to say a big thank you to the listeners for joining in we hope you learned at least one thing about trigger fish today what one thing do you think you want people to learn about trigger fish today Kate Oh, is it? They're not really awful. <laughs> yeah. They're endearing and they're lovely. And you don't need to be scared of them unless they're nesting. So don't yes. worry about them. Yes. Excellent. That's, and Google them as well if you haven't already <laughs> because they're amazing. Google them. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, everybody. Remember, book that dentist appointment you've been putting off. You know it's for the best. Drink plenty of water. And most importantly, don't be an asshole. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arsehole Animals with Alice. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by heading over to Patreon to become a donor. Each donation you make helps me continue to make you laugh and learn about the arseholes of the animal kingdom. You can find me on patreon.com slash arseholeanimals with Alice. It's as simple as that. See you next time.